You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Welcome to the show. Monday, June the 20th. Lovely, bright, sunny morning here in TW11, much as it was through most of Royal Ascot week. A week that was greeted with great enthusiasm for so many reasons by so many, and we'll be discussing that later in the show. But yesterday at Chantilly, a truly historic moment for European racing as Holly Doyle guided Nashua to success in the Prix de Dien Longines. David Yates, the a correspondent from the Daily Mirror is my guest this morning. Dave, just explain why this was a moment of such significance before we hear from the rider. Nashua's victory in the Prix de Dian is genuinely a landmark moment in European racing, Nick. There's no question about that whatsoever. Um, half a century ago, female riders were winning classic races in Scandinavia, uh, latterly in South America. But if we look at Britain, Ireland and France as the, the the one of the power bases. Let's put it that way. Let's put America and and Dubai and, and Hong Kong to, to the side for one moment. Um, traditionally, that is where we live is obviously one of the power bases of um, global flat racing. And no female jockey has won a classic race in Britain, Ireland and France, or France, until yesterday when Nashua won the Prix de Dian. So um, Holly Doyle held the, the record for the highest position by a woman jockey. That was, of course, on Nashua when she was a gallant, if non-staying, third in the Oaks at Epsom on June the 3rd. But yeah, this is a, this is a, a, a new high for the jockey. We know that this is um, just merely, I think, the, the latest step for Holly Doyle on the way up. This is her third Group 1 win of her career after Glenn Sheel and Trushan previously. Um, interviewing her before the Kazoo Oaks at Epsom, she was saying that you can win Group 1 races, but breaking into the classic uh, party is a very difficult one. You and I have discussed this before when we've talked about um, getting rides in, in the derby. Um, most of the trainers or owners who have runners in those races they have their jockeys and and spares aren't really easy to come by and that's why this tie-up with Imad Al-Sagar is so important for Holly Doyle because it gives her an in into that most exclusive of clubs and as we say Nashua was a, a podium finisher in the Oaks and John Gosden, I think it was on uh, Wednesday that I asked him at Royal Ascot about whether Nashua would go. He said, yep, 16 days between the two races, absolutely fine. All we need now is a good draw. We don't want double figures. Nashua got two, which pleased the trainer and pleased the jockey. Um, the race tactically, uh, the way it unfolded yesterday, Holly Doyle got Nashua in a, a prominent position, uh, sort of disputed the running with um, Agav of uh, Andre Fabres. The two Horses who uh, filled the podium, La Parisienne and uh, Rosa Sia, came from the back. But uh, Holly Doyle produced Nashua to lead, I think, at about the furlong pole. And she produced a really game effort for her jockey to score by a short neck. So those were the, 
the nuts and bolts of the tactics, but this is about more than uh, the way that a race unfolded. As I say, this is truly a milestone moment for European racing. And I put it to the rider that there was a, an obvious greater depth of appreciation for this victory than perhaps all others in her glittering career to date. This is what she had to say. Yeah, it was an amazing feeling. I've never felt anything like it before, really. Um, and I've had some good days in the saddle. Um, and it just kind of topped everything, really. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure. It was just um, probably the circumstances with um, Imad being there, riding for John Gosden, you know, and, I think that's the thing, isn't it? We look at it as another European classic. In France, their Prix de Diane, their Oaks for the Phillies races, have got almost more prestige than the than the Derby. Yeah, that's it. And um, I'd be one for kind of enjoying the moment and moving on um, to my next ride because I'd usually be quite busy. But yesterday, I only had the one ride and. Um, they really, you know, gave everyone a great reception. And um, for once in my life, it probably dawned upon me as to to what's just happened, really. Um, when they played the national anthem, I was kind of, you know, it was, um, yeah, it was a, a good moment. <laughs> yeah, as you say, I mean, part of the secret of your success has been that kind of relentlessness, that focus, that single-mindedness. You just allowed yourself that tiny moment of, yeah, actually, this is, this is pretty good. Yeah, I think it's probably... <laughs> the first time in my life I've actually done that and um, stood back and had a look around really enjoyed the moment um, like I say whereas usually I'd be kind of um, right that's over and done with what, let's move on to the next thing but uh, it was a great moment and obviously we've we've seen the images of, of Tom your husband roaring up afterwards he was riding Zelly who I ran fine but, but was never going to land a blow uh, I mean was it I mean could he see immediately that, that you'd won um, I think so. Yeah, he said he, he knew I'd won, and um, he congratulated me after. And I think he knows, you know, how much it means to me, really. And um, any jockey, really, to to win a classic, um, I would wouldn't feel nerves, or I would feel nerves. I'm not gonna lie, I was a, a bit nervous or apprehensive going into um, yesterday. But um, the lead up to it, I think he could tell that I was. I wasn't there to around. I wanted to, you know, get it done really for Imad after Epsom. Uh, you say you wanted to get it done for Imad after Epsom. Did did you then feel a bit of responsibility about Epsom? Because to 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 everybody that I spoke to, it was like, well, yeah, she's travelled really well, run really well, just not quite stayed. Did you see it a bit differently to that? Um, well, he Imad wanted to go go to Epsom, um, and you know, we 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 all we all went there um, quite open minded, like I say about the trip. You know, we, we didn't know until we tried and we gave it a go and I I got off her and I was happy enough and I felt like, you know, ultimately she just didn't stay the last furlong. Mm. Well, maybe not that she didn't stay. I, I got off and said she was outstayed by the, yeah. the first two. Um, and I, I don't know, my Imad was absolutely fine, but obviously um, when they don't stay the mile and a half, it, it, it shuts a lot of corridors really for the, um, you know, for the future. But um, we need it. We had the option of coming to France up our sleeve. It was just a bit of a risk, really. Um, you know, 16 days, it's a bit more than it used to be, and, and John Gosden's done it before, but it's always a bit of a worry going um, to France these days and hoping that the filly turns out as good as she did the time before. And thankfully, it all worked out well because there are a lot of variables um, to cover. 
strange question to ask, maybe, but given how recently she'd run, do you actually think she needed to be at her best to win yesterday? Um, I think she's potentially better than what she showed yesterday. Um, she's quite, I wouldn't say weak, but there's still um, a frame there to work with. And I got off and I think she'll be even better next year or back end of the year because, you know, she's done... She's, she had a lot of time from two to three, but her three-year-old campaign, she's done a, quite a lot in a short space of time, really. Um, so it'll be nice now. I think John's going to give her a freshen up and um, it'll be interesting to see what she can do going forward. John Gosling spoke very warmly about you after after the race. It, it seems this season that you and he have built quite a, quite a good working relationship. Yeah, things have gone really well. And like I say, it's... Thanks to Imad for giving me the opportunity to um, be associated with people like John Gosden and you know Roger Charlton and people like that. Whereas I don't know without this job would I have really um, been in that position to be able to do that? But um, it's just kind of um, helped helped me um, massively, really. It's quite easy to forget that you you were actually riding a winner at Royal Ascot earlier in the week. I mean, I suppose the the relentlessness of Royal Ascot did that just kind of help take your mind off Nashua a little bit. Um, I think so. Yeah, I, I had a lot more going into Epsom. There was a lot more build up. Obviously, it was the Derby meeting as well, and um, you know there was a massive build up for that. And I said yesterday, time I felt a bit more pressure um, going into Epsom than I did yesterday because. Um, for me, I, you know, I knew the trip would be fine. Um, I've ridden in France quite a lot before, um, so I, that wasn't um, too new to me. Um, but I suppose the build-up wasn't as big as it was, you know, like we we had going to Epsom because of um, Ascot. So that was quite good. <laughs> I, it was quite obvious to me when there were sort of shots of the the crowd roaring you home. Yes, okay, you were favourite, and plenty of people have packed you. But obviously, the, the, how did you feel that the, the French warmth towards you winning uh, as as a bit of a pioneer? Um, it was massive. Really. It was. Um, I didn't expect it to be the way it was. Really, obviously, being um, an an English jockey going over there and winning one of their classics, like you, you'd think it wouldn't. Um, be as well received as a you know French trainer and jockey combination but um like I said I've been going to France for quite a few years now and um I, I think they've gotten to know me a little bit and um it was yeah an, an amazing atmosphere. Holly Doyle there clearly the the most significant moment of her already uh, extraordinary career. Uh, David a couple of things just to pick out and she was very keen to stress that this wouldn't have happened had Imad al Sagar. Not, I was going to say taking a chance, maybe that's putting it the wrong way, not shown great faith in her uh, three seasons ago when that retainer wouldn't necessarily have been an obvious one to everyone. And I, I, I consider that to be significant for a couple of reasons. First, because a female jockey ship isn't something that historically has been terribly well supported by representatives of Arab states. And Imad El-Sagar has rather led the way here, the, the Q80 businessman. And second a major powerhouse trainer like John Gosden is thus forced to to give Holly Doyle rides on on a classic stage. Yeah, I think that um, when you cite... The, 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 the goalposts have moved slightly over the decades, I think, Nick. I think that when when I first got into racing in the, in the mid to late 80s and then in the 90s, I think that uh, big owners and 
trainers were apt to sign established big names at the very highest level. I think now that that's that age range at which they do that, I'm talking about the jockeys, not the, not the owners or trainers, um, has come down. And so I think that when one uses the, um, the phrase taking a chance, that doesn't mean to say that, that, the, that these jockeys are not uh, top flight jockeys but what it means is that they are still in a stage of development and when Holly Doyle was signed by Imad Al-Sagar she was 22 years old she's now 25 and I think that it's fair to point out she would acknowledge that at 22 she probably wasn't quite the jockey that she is at 25 and we suspect that by the time she's 30 she will be a greater jockey still um, so in that sense I think it's about spotting the potential and as you say Female jockeys haven't uh, traditionally been supported strongly by representatives from Arab states. And in that sense, Imad Al-Sagar is something of a groundbreaker. But from the jockey's perspective, as I've said, it, it gives them an in. So not, the, not the, the Group 1 races necessarily, or not just the Group 1 races, but also the classic sphere too. We know famously that Imad Al-Sagar was one of the, the two owners of the 2007 Derby Hero Authorised, who of course gave Frankie Dottori his first victory in that classic. So this does open doors. Um, we saw at Epsom that Nashua, to use a, a, a phrase I'd like to avoid but can't think of a different one, was a, a Group 1 winner in waiting, particularly when she came back in distance. And she proved that again yesterday. And your point with John Gosden is a, is a, a very good one in, in that we know that it, we, the report of his conversation uh, of three years ago when Imad Al-Sagar was looking for a retained rider that Holly Doyle was at the front of, of John Gosden's thinking back then. Yeah. And let's face it, we all know there have been plenty of high-profile owner-retained jockeys before, who some of the new market beer moth trainers haven't been particularly uh, happy to put up. So uh, again, a, a ringing endorsement, and he was singing her praises yesterday at Shanti in, in rather stark and ironic contrast to some of the um, to and fro that had gone on between Gosden and Dottori during Ascot last week. Uh, Lydia and I covered this quite extensively on Friday's podcast, Dave, but that was before, of course, Dottori and in Spiral had responded in the coronation stakes. How did you think Dottori played Friday afternoon? I thought Dottori played uh, the occasion extremely well. Um, when we asked him about Thursday, he didn't bristle. Um, he said, he, he, you know, obviously he'd just won the coronation stakes on a, uh, a filly who's destined to be uh, one of the stars of the, the second half of the 2022 flat season in Inspire. Did she win by five and a half lengths? Certainly a yawning gap uh, back to uh, Spenderella in second in any case. So it was perhaps easier to smile in victory, but he, he didn't avoid the uh, events of Thursday. He said, you know, I had, a, I had a banging headache Thursday night. I got up this morning, the first hour it was dogging me. Um, then I, I, I read the form for a bit and I said to myself, look, this is gone. You move on now. Frankie Dottori is 51. He's had low points of his career before and he's bounced back from them. And so I thought that, um, I, I thought he played it frankly and honestly. And I was expecting a rapprochement between the two on Friday afternoon and, and in, in the mirror, you know, I, I wrote that 
after after a week that had put a strain on their union, uh, they were back on speaking terms uh, as a result of Inspiral's win in the Coronation Stakes. Um, I think there was still some frostiness round the edges and maybe a, a little more central than that. Certainly on Go John Gosden's part, um, he was apt to... Uh, used the word overcomplicated in an interview with Sky Sports about Frankie's ride aboard Stradivarius in the Gold Cup. And so um, let's hope that that thaws over the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, we've we've been uh, apt to write about Dottori's triumphs, particularly at Ascot, during a, a career that uh, the like of which we've never known in British flat racing. And he should have won um, the Britannia on Saga. I'm not quite so sure about Stradivarius in the Gold Cup. Yes, the horse was unlucky in running. Could I put my hand on my heart and say that he was un an unlucky loser? I don't think so. Um, I think that the winner uh, that day was a, a young and improving stayer, uh, Kiprios, and, and I suspect that that Stradivarius would have had a, a, a difficulty to beat that horse, uh, even with a clear run. So th those were two... Um, elements on the same day. I, I don't think that you could really blame Dottori for reach for the Moon's defeat. He got uh, to the quarters, or in fact, got level uh, with Claymore, and Claymore trained brilliantly by Jane Chappelheim, giving her a second victory uh, of the meeting, just responded. And I thought, you know, I'm not trying to be a clever clogs after the race, but I tipped Claymore in that race because I thought, well, if you forgive the, um, the, the, draw 15 of 15 debacle in the Poul de Cede Poulain, then you've got a horse with a a, a realistic chance here uh, in the Hampton Court. So it was a it was a, a a bad day Thursday for de Tory. It was certainly by his own standards a disappointing meeting. But for those of us in print and broadcast who have spent the last five years uh, de Tory having gone from 46 to 51, for those of us who have been saying how well he manages his work-life balance, how that is reflected in the success that he gets at the top level on the track, I think it's very, very hard for us to turn around now and say, oh, Dottore is past it, get someone in, who's Gosden's next stable jockey? Oh, well, it must be Holly Doyle. I think that that's jumping the gun probably one, two, three stages. Um, I, I believe and I hope that there will be uh, a continued thawing of the relations between trainer and jockey, that over the next few weeks, Dottore will boot in a few winners at a decent level for Gosden, and then we will see uh, normal service resumed, uh, well, possibly at, in the King George or after that at Glorious Goodwood. Uh, Nick Smith is Ascot's Director of Racing and Public Affairs, and he joins me now. Nick, broad brush assessment of the five days that you, you just put on. Well, it's been a, a fantastic week all round, really, and uh, the feedback's been been very, very pleasing. It's a, you know, it's a huge team effort, you know, from a, from the caterers through to you know the ground staff, the cleaning teams. It's a big operation. It's a big operation to pull off, especially after so long away. Um, but we're so we're so pleased that people went away with good memories. We feel that the project to reduce capacities uh, and, and reduce density worked very well. Um, the, the Royal Enclosure Gardens opened up beautifully. Uh, the, the Queen Anne Enclosure certainly felt like it was less stressed. Uh, people could get to the bars uh, and everyone was enjoying the scene around the bandstand. And we, we just had a tremendous week. So we're really pleased. 
and in terms of whether this has put you back on a on a, on an even keel after two years that were blighted by the pandemic, is it is it too early to say, or can you can you make some kind of realistic forecasting for that? It was a very very good raw meeting financially. I mean, of course it was. I mean, we 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 had two years to to make up for. Everybody knows that we were the you know the first event uh, behind closed doors, the first national event behind closed doors in 2020. Then we were racing's representative in the government's events research project in 21, and all of these things came at huge cost and uh, uh, and and this is a build back year for us, and it will be uh, good results for us this year. Would it be fair to say that Nature Strip was a personal highlight for you? Um, of course, it was. I mean, it'd be silly to say it wasn't, but it was. I think it was a highlight for, for Chris Waller. I, mean, I, I was speaking to him afterwards. You know, after everything that he's achieved with Winks and very elegant, and you know, being probably now Australia's most prominent trainer. You know, he's saying that this has completed his CV. You know, without this, it would have been you know always something absent. So, yeah, it's wonderful for him, and, and just so fantastic to have Australians back. They bring so much to the party. But the number of people that came over with these three horses was. was actually unprecedented even going back to the black caviar here what else were you were you most pleased with through the week perhaps that hasn't had quite quite the play of the of the nature strip story or, or some of the big equine stories i mean i think something has to be said about how, how well the track rode. i mean chris Pickles and his team the grounds team just did a brilliant job i mean there was a bit of watering every night there were very very few non-runners come to the final day track records weren't threatened so it wasn't rattling fast it was just proper quick flat racing ground and if you get to the end of the week in five days of intense racing and you have a platinum jubilee finish that has one uh, that has the placed horses on the near side the far side and a couple in the middle you know that you must have done something right so i think they deserve a, a huge amount of credit now you're going to get a, a, a lot of bouquets for sure and not too many brickbats i think everyone agrees it was a terrifically successful meeting and everyone had a great time but it's your job to scrutinize and look at what you can do next year to make things better and you do that every year so what what struck you what did you think over the five days right we need to just tweak that have a look at that if it's you know anything that that, that immediately leapt off the page at you there are going to be localised issues that we'll have to look at. There will be things that didn't didn't work. We'll have a complaints process. I mean, unfortunately, the nature of these of these events is that there will always be a number of complaints and things will emerge. So we'll take a little look at that. We don't think that there was anything fundamentally that we need to concern ourselves with. The, the big question is, are we at the right numbers at, on our busiest days? Is that the right number? Can we utilise the site uh, even even more imaginatively than we we already did. I mean, don't forget, it's only I'm going to guess here, but something like five five or six years since the village enclosure and the centre of the course came in, and that in itself has allowed us to to move to move people around to get more space. Um, you know, we'll always look at you know what comes out of these big meetings and see what can develop. But you know, it, it, this was one of those unique meetings where I don't think a big theme emerged that there was anything on the site or anything in the race program that, that necessarily didn't work i mean the whirlpool figures were fantastic um you know the local betting figures were fantastic the, the television viewing figures especially coming up to, to the record uh, saturday crowd was absolutely breathtaking uh, and so most of those things seem to be going in the right direction of course the key thing will always be to invest in prize money to try and protect uh ways to highlight all of our highlights of british racing on the flat from the classic through to royal ascot the july meeting glorious goodwood in york you know we all have to you know come together to to, to, to to keep going in the right direction in prize money to try and protect um the investment that owners owners put into this great sport 
How do you react in your racing role uh, to the small fields, the Edward VII, the Hampton Court, the Ribblesdale? Is that something to worry about or is that reflective of just the direction of the sport as a whole in that sort of class of horse? Oh, it, they, that was a bit of a, a quirk, but it's not something that we've seen most years. Uh, I mean, Reach for the Moon was a short price favourite. I mean, you know, when you get a short price favourite, that, that will always happen. Um, not many horses uh, ran in the Derby and then ran in the King Edward the Seventh Stakes. I mean, you know, you look at those kind of things, but to be quite honest, it, you know, in, unless a theme emerges over a three, four, five year period, then you probably don't worry about it too much. I mean, we had a much bigger field than we'd normally expect for the St. Joseph's Palace Stakes, for example, and the sprint race fields were, 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 were enormous. So it, it's all swings and roundabouts. I, I tend not to worry too much about something, a quirk that might happen in one given year. But of course, if the theme starts to emerge, that's something that you, you certainly start to pick up on. And you mentioned, you mentioned Whirlpool. Can, can you give an indication as to just exactly how big a deal that is for, for, for Ascot and for, for British racing moving forward? Yeah, I mean, we have to keep it into, into proportion, and most of the most of the revenue for Royal Ascot is through good old fashioned hospitality, fine dining, and ticket sales. You know, the media rights income that comes through from Whirlpool and other uh, other international initiatives is is, is extremely important, and it, and it adds to our you know, our betting revenues. But it, it doesn't, uh, if you like, underpin the shortcomings in our current levy system by any stretch of the imagination. It certainly takes us all in the right direction, and it's a, it is a universally positive uh, thing that we were welcoming and, and the great thing for British racing at the moment is just how many race meetings in Britain have Whirlpool compared to other uh, race, race, racing nations in the world which just goes to show that for all the uh, you know we're quite negative sometimes about our own product uh, our own race program what have you but actually uh, it, what whirlpool is demonstrating is that our racing is what the rest of the world really want to see and bet on nick smith there the director of communications public affairs at ascot Racecourse. he's clearly happy with the week dave i think everyone was pretty happy with the week um but we need to just boil it down to your brief list of um proist pros and conist cons i suppose Right, pros, pros. Um, I thought it was a, a, a boisterous, well-behaved, diverse crowd of people. The um, the total attendance over the five days was two hundred seventy-three thousand four hundred sixty-five. Um, I would give plaudits to the Ascot executive for uh, the reduction in the total numbers across the three enclosures. In 2019, before COVID, um, the aggregate across the three uh, enclosures was 51,000. That was reduced to 44,100. I think, just looking at it, that uh, that gave rise to a better customer experience. I tweeted that yesterday. I said that, you know, I was encouraged by what I saw at Ascot. I thought that it it showed um, the sport in its best light. Now, inevitably, there were uh, some disagreements with that. There were quite a few agreements too I should say you know I'm, I can't come to you with chapter and verse and say you know the, the the cubicle on D4 ran out of paper or something like that so I'm going to leave those uh, to uh, to the respondents who are better informed than I am um, I think there for those of us of whom there will be many looking at maybe just the second tier of the races at Ascot for the, the the group of horses that we see going abroad that are those ones slightly below group one level if we look at the numbers for the Duke of Cambridge stakes seven runners the Ribblesdale six the King Edward the seventh six the Hardwick seven now th- there is an answer to to this which is well they 
invariably attract small fields. But that's something I think that, that British racing still needs to keep a very close eye on. As I say, there will be uh, there will be those who, who went to Ascot during the week and uh, didn't find the customer experience where they were uh, up to the, the, the standards that they were expecting. But as I say, from, from my rather anecdotal uh, position of, of seeing what I saw over the five days, I thought it was a really encouraging uh, meeting. And the, the final thing is that for those of us who, are, who complain about uh, the, the behemoth stables winning the big races all the time, the Cheltenhams that are dominated by by Willie Mullins. Um, I thought it was a, a really refreshing state of affairs that during the, the, the eight Group 1 races, I'll go through them very quickly, Queen Anne, William Haggis, Baid, uh, Kingston, Chris Waller, Nature Strip, St James's Palace, Charlie Appleby, Caribus, Prince of Wales, Joseph O'Brien, State of Race, Gold Cup, Aidan O'Brien, Kiprios, Commonwealth, Stakes, Richard Fahey, Perfect Power, Coronation of States, John Gosling, Spiral, Platinum Jubilee, Charlie Appleby, Naval Crown. You will see from that that there was one name that appeared twice, that of Charlie Appleby. And let's face it, uh, the end of the Platinum Jubilee Stakes was almost like the end of the Wokey, wasn't it? Um, we had Artorius finishing like a train for a share of third place. And uh, the uh, the Friedman name could easily have gone up on the Roll of Honour, which would have made it eight different trainers for eight Group 1 races. For my part, and I'm not, I'm not on Royal Ascot's payroll, and I'm not trying to um, butter up uh, the chief executives of Ascot Racecourse, but I thought that most of what I saw was done extremely well and I thought that over the five days that projected a, a, a really strong and attractive image for the for the sport that we hold so dear. All right, that was Ascot. This weekend's feature race is the Irish Derby at the Curra. It features the luckless Derby third Westover. Prior to that run, he had beaten an exciting horse called Cash at Sandown. Cash was amongst the single-figure prized horses for the Irish Derby. He's trained by David Simcock, who told me that the horse had gone lame shortly before his his most recently intended engagement. And that meant that he was running out of time to get him to the, the Irish Derby this weekend. And that was the Thursday before the French Guineas. We're sad the next day, which was very frustrating. Um, obviously, we took lots of pictures and did lots of checks. Um but he's sound now, and listen, we'll probably we'll probably see him in six weeks, two months. Just one of those things, and where options are and everything else, the likelihood is we'll see him in August. We won't be going the mile and a half route, that's for sure. If anything, we'll be coming back to a mile. Um, you know, he's trained really, really well. He trained really well up to the French Derby, and it might well be Nick that he's actually. A, with racing and training, and as he gets older, he's going to become a quicker horse, um, and that wouldn't surprise me in, in the least. So, um, you know, options are open. They'll be discussed with his two owners, and we'll come up with a plan. He's bred, he's bred to be quite a reasonably quick horse, isn't he? Well, it's it's a funny one, isn't he? Shamadal mostly influences the speed. There's very, I've got, I can only think of two Shamadals that were proper group performers at, at a mile and a half. The majority. The best ones generally have been, you know, you, you look at the likes of Blue Point, um, you know, Pinatubo, Lope de Vega wasn't a slow horse. You know, that a lot of them are that sort of mile, around that mile bracket. And I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up that way. David Simcock there with news on his horse Cash, who remains 
an exciting prospect, even if we're not going to see him in the Irish Derby. And then it'll roll on to the Coral Eclipse at the beginning of July and then the July Festival from Newmarket. 6th to the 8th of July, you will also be able to enjoy the sales, the traditional July sale, which is a, an interesting mid-term trading point for domestic and international sale. And uh, I can talk now to Bobby Jackson from Tattersalls. And Bobby, you can reflect on another pretty decent Royal Ascot with, with 15 winners. We've done really well again this year and it's great to see so many winners of, of such a, uh, um, a wide range of winners as well. Um, obviously, State of Rest winning the Group 1 Prince of Wales' estate. He was a 45,000 guineas, Tassels December Fall. Uh, what a manner then sold him for 60,000 guineas at Tassels October Book 2. It's still a lot of money, but it's, it's pretty reasonable for a, then a four-time Group 1 winner. Broom in the um, Hardwick Stakes, um, he was 150,000 Guinea Tassel December yearling purchased by MV Magno from Creamhouse Stud. I think Bradsell was a was a was a great result. Um, Twelve thousand guineas Tassel Somerville yearling sale purchase. I mean, that was the first first um, sale that we held it um, at Park Paddocks last year under that name. Uh, personally, quite satisfying to see that happen. Have a, a first Royal Ascot winner from the sale, and then the, another two-year-old actually Holloway Boy winning on debut for Carl Burke in the Chesham. That was, I think that was pretty pretty great to see. Um, 60,000 guineas October, um, book two purchase by Carl and Kelly um, from Cheveley Park. Um, and Cheveley Park actually offer his full sister, Oppressive, in the July sale. Um, she's in full to Twilight Sun. So it'd be great to see her there and I'm sure she'll be very popular. And that leads us neatly on to the sale, 68th of July, Am I right that you're actually not only offering dams of Ascot winners, you're actually offering two Royal Ascot winners themselves? Um, Inver Park, who was an impressive winner of the Buckingham Palace States for George Bowie and his team, uh, the four-year-old son of Pivotal, he's catalogued, um, which is exciting. And then you've got Latin Lover, who provided Harry Eustace with his first Royal Ascot win in just his second season, which was really excited for him. And he won the Palace of Holyrood House Stakes quite nicely, actually, off a mark of 83. So both of those, having won last week, I think proves that they can act perfectly on quick ground. So should suit some of those racing jurisdictions further afield, if not, um, here as well so it's exciting to have those form horses in the catalogue I, I noticed that Shadwell and Judmont the rationalisation of their operations is reflected again there's a lot of those beautifully bred mares are on offer um, yeah the, the the major owner breeders Godolphin, Shadwell, Judmont um, have got 96 lots catalogued between them um, with plenty of mares on offer in fault a whole host of proven um, group one size uh, Godolphin the Godolphin draft includes German champion filly a multiple group winner, Antara. Um, she's the dam of group three winner, Algiers, in fold to uh, European champion, Palace Pier, which is exciting. Uh, and they've also got a few beautifully bred daughters of group one winners, uh, Sweet Whisper, Carnival Girl and Nasma um, are in there. And then Shadwell, uh, Raki, she's a listed place daughter of uh, champion Philly Natagora. Um, she's in fold to Pinatubo. And then we've got Bakar, uh, Shamadal, full sister to three-time Group 1 winner Dumboy and Express in Fulton Mahatha. There's probably a key highlight amongst the broodmares in the catalogue, and that's Chacha Mehdi. She is a Group 1 winner herself, won the Matron Stakes, um, and is actually the dam of Group 3 winner and Group 2 plays Classique. And then recently, Valiant Prince was a, um, quite an impressive winner of uh, the listed race at 
York. She's a dam of those two, and she's she's going to be sold in Fulton Mahatha um, by DVA Equine Services alongside her uh, Galileo daughter for Henry, who's obviously a full sister classique, and she's in Fulton Advertise herself. So we've got some exciting broodmares catalogued in in a couple of weeks' time. And what about the remainder of the the form horses, who really might be something interesting for for an international market? There's a, there's a few few that stand out, I suppose. You've got Charlie Hills' 103-rated Tuscan, Alice Haynes' listed winner, Mr. Professor. Uh, a couple of more um, unexposed types coming up the ranks. You've got Ken Condon's Warren Beach, who's a, a half-brother to Group 1 winner. Here comes when He's won his last two starts. It was quite impressive last time out, actually. Um, and then William Haggis always brings um, some nice horses to the July sale. Uh, he's got Grenoble in there whose time form rated 98, um, having just been beaten on his most recent start on the Derby undercard at Epsom. And he comes from a nice Newsels Park family. Some of the older horses, you've got group performers, Agitaire, Ace Aussie, Memento. Um, there's also quite a nice, lightly raced horse um, of John and Thady Gosden's, whose group plays called Stowell. I thought he was a bit of an eye-catcher um, in the Copper Horse States at Royal Ascot last week, so I'm sure he's going to be popular. Bobby, thanks. That's Bobby Jackson. From Tattersall, 6th to the 8th of July, their traditional July sale. Thanks to Bobby and to all my guests this afternoon. David Yates is back with some advice for this afternoon. Yes, indeed. Um, we are going, Nick, to the first race at Wolverhampton this afternoon, and that is the 5.55. And we're looking there at a horse ridden by a gentleman who's been a walking cash machine over the decades. It's Charlie's Yard, number two, ridden by Mr. Simon Walker. He will no- need no introduction to those of you who bet on the uh, races for the unpaid ranks. Top Corinthian. This horse has been in excellent form for David Evans, of course, uh, won the Wokium for the second time in 12 months with Rohan on Saturday. And I think Charlie's Yard should keep the stable in the headlines, albeit at a slightly more prosaic level. 5.55 at Wolverhampton, the selection is number two, Charlie's Yard. David, thank you very much. That was Monday the 20th of June. We'll be back again to do it tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.